3: A Netflix live event happening
1: May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout.
3: What is up, everybody? I hope all of you in Bills Mafia have had a couple days to unwind and decompress and put the disappointment uh, a little bit to the side as as we start to transition into a very, very interesting offseason for a Bills team that, you know, for as bad as Sunday was and disappointing and disheartening, there's a lot to be excited about about this franchise and looking forward. And we're going to do that. A lot on tonight's episode of the Shout Buffalo Bills Football Podcast. I am your host Matt Perino, joined as always by my main man Ryan Talbot. Uh, we're we're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And there's there's plenty to get into because you know we got a chance to kind of put this season to bed. The last couple of days, we heard from some players on Monday, Coach Sean McDermott on Tuesday, and then today uh, we had a chance to spend over an hour with Brandon Bean. So there's a lot to kind of get into and uh deconstruct a little bit. And we have a cool uh lineup tonight. We're gonna to be joined by Mike Giardi from NFL Network here in a few minutes. Uh, we'll dive into a lot of that. And then Jeremiah Searles, former Bills offensive lineman. We're gonna dive into that game, uh what we saw from the Bills this year and, and and look ahead a little bit uh to the next uh couple months. Uh but I want to before we go on, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Uh, hit that subscribe button for us. It's really important as we try to grow that channel a little bit. Uh, you can find us on all the audio platforms. If if you can't, if you jump in and out of the live show, uh, always remember that you can find us uh, on all the different platforms afterwards. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. There, it really helps us out. My man, Ryan Talbot, how you feeling?
0: Hey, feeling pretty good. I, I think you said it best. I think we can uh, kind of move on from this this game on Sunday, as tough as it was, and start looking ahead. You know. The nice thing about the NFL season for fans is that it never stops. Uh, You're already looking, you know, the senior bowls happening pretty soon. We'll be really deep into draft talk. So there's a lot to get our minds off of how the season ended. But at the same time, this was a a great season. Uh, Even with some unknowns going into 2021, the Bills are in good shape. A lot of their key players will be back, obviously. So, you know, I, I think the future is bright here in Buffalo.
3: Indeed. And uh, I think you're going to get into that a little bit in a moment. And I will ask you uh, for your your big takeaway from the last two days of, of, of press conferences. But let me start off with mine. And, you know, one of the big topics that we're going to get into tonight, and we're going to talk about a lot over the next couple of months, and that's a cool thing, too. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. This is going to be this, the Wednesday staple show. We will be live every Wednesday this offseason to bring you the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. This is a, you guys have made this a smash, smashing success. And so we're going to continue to bring you interviews and analysis and we'll break everything down all throughout the off season, you know, but one of my big takeaways today is when Brandon Bean was asked a little bit about Sean, uh, about Matt Milano and, you know, the season that he had. And I thought a couple things came up in that conversation around the kind of salary and, uh, uh salary cap and, uh, gymnastics that have to go on over the next couple months to try to, you know, to take to 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 resign some of these players i mean if you look at you know going into this season i think teams thought 210 215 uh was going to be about the salary cap 215 million dollars uh it's currently at 198 so that's a pretty healthy jump some leeway to to kind of neg- negotiate and uh maneuver with a lot of uh, different pieces that they have to bring back milano being probably the marquee name uh, amongst bills free agents and he basically said listen he 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 laid out a couple things number 1 you know, Matt Milano's had a, a little bit of trouble staying healthy. He's been nicked up at times over the course of his career. That could impact things. He also said that he's a really good football player. We want him back. We've told him that. They expressed that to him. But he's also earned the right to go out and find what his market value is. And when you really start to, you know, dive into this free agent class, I mean, Matt Milano, defensively speaking, with the versatility that he has, he's going to be pretty pretty coveted i would imagine depending on if teams have the funds to go out and try to find somebody so that was kind of my big takeaway right
0: yeah and i think that's a great takeaway and you know before the show started we were talking about that and, and you look at last year with jordan phillips Shaq lost, and they both tested the market and they both priced themselves out of buffalo's range that could happen with matt milano unless like you just said the other teams don't have enough uh, cap flexibility and maybe maybe the bills can get them on a bargain after all so it's going to be one of the most interesting storylines heading into the off season in terms of cap space overall for me. I think my biggest takeaway after these last two days is that Sean McDermott and Brendan Bean are very realistic. They know that after Sunday's game, they are not on the same tier as the Kansas city chiefs. They are not a true, uh, they don't have a super bowl roster right now. Do they have a lot of the key pieces that you need? Absolutely. Quarterback, number one wide receiver, number one cornerback, The list goes on and on, but there were a lot of things that were exploited in that game against the chiefs on defense. They could not stop anything on offense. The drive stalled out. Uh, Run game was pretty uh, non-existent all year. And it wasn't just the running back fault, fault, just uh, like Brandon Bean said today that some of it had to do with the blocking, the tight end blocking, wide receiver blocking, and obviously the blocking of the offensive line. So a lot of pieces that contributed to that area too. So, Both sides of the ball, there still needs to be some gains before we can truly say this team can go toe to toe with the Kansas City Chiefs.
3: Yeah, and I another thing is we're going to welcome in uh, Mike Giardi from NFL.com here any minute. He'll join uh, uh, the he'll he'll arrive in the green room and we'll bring him onto the the show. But um, I I see somebody in here asking about uh, Leslie Frazier. Any news there on the Texans front? Uh, He is one of two uh, finalists or favorites, if you will, for that job. Uh, he, they brought him in for a second interview. It does seem like things are trending toward an interesting name that Bill's fans are probably familiar with. David Culley, uh, was brought in for his second interview today. They brought him back after the initial meeting, uh, reports are stating today, we might be able to ask Mike about this a little bit and what he's hearing, if anything. And, um, it's, it's kind of looking like maybe things are going in a, a positive direction for Mr. Culley, which I think is is just such an unbelievable story, like how the NFL works. In a lot of ways, I think after Josh Allen's rookie year, if you remember, David Culley was his quarterback's coach and had never been played that role before, so probably miscast a little bit. I think Sean wanted him on the staff because you know had a familiarity with him going back in the day, and uh, he brought a couple people with him initially that I think he can kind of lean on, and you know, obviously Leslie Frazier being one of those guys, but not a lot of success here in Josh's rookie season. I mean, you know, I guess. I, I say that saying that, you know, he moved on uh, with, with a chance to kind of continue and maybe grow with with Josh Allen. So maybe there was, you know, maybe it was kind of mutually agreed upon, uh, if you will. But, you know, he got kind of a promotion, uh, he became an offensive assistant and a receivers coach with Baltimore, which I think he was more suited towards. Um, but, man, what a jump that would be for Cully.
0: Yeah, that's just the, the beauty of these interviews. There's always one or two candidates that kind of surprise you. You hear they go for the interview. Sometimes they get the second interview. Uh, but but Cully was someone that really was not talked about much when you're talking about candidates for head coaching positions. And the fact that he was called back, it does seem like it's trending in the direction that he's going to be the favorite for that job. And I think when he came to Buffalo, I think part of that uh, giving him the quarterback's coach position was that he wanted to keep moving up the ladder Uh, So he could one day become a head coach, and I think that uh, after being a wide receivers coach and things like that for so long, quarterbacks coach was the next step, and then getting that promotion in Baltimore. So he has been moving up the ladder, so to speak, Uh, and, and now that might result in him being the head coach of the Houston Texans, so time will tell.
3: You know, I, I always got to do something funny, don't I, Ryan? Uh, Mike emails me, uh, messages me here. I didn't send him a link in the, uh, in the email that I sent uh, with the details for the show. So, of course. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting. I I think that, first of all, let me say something on Leslie Frazier because I've seen some stuff. And, listen, I always tell myself, don't wade into the comments on Facebook. Don't do it to yourself because, you know, it's just going to get you frustrated. A lot of people saying a lot of things that probably shouldn't be saying the things that they're saying. And, Just some contempt for Leslie Frazier coming off of that Kansas City game. Listen, could they have had a better game plan in that game? No doubt about it. You know, when you give up six, five touchdowns and and seven drives, basically, is how it kind of uh, boiled down one field goal. Everything needed to be better there, but they ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, sorry for the cliche, but they ran into an absolute killer team that had answers for everything that they did. Please, please, let's put to bed this fire Leslie Frazier nonsense. It's it's too much. It's too much for me to take. And while we're talking about that, let's bring in Mike Giardi, who so kindly reminded me that I did not include an, a link to this show in my original email. Blame it on the, uh, you know, senioritis last day of school this week. Just maybe this is kind of a getaway day for me. So I appreciate that. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, we're talking a little bit about uh, everything going on over the last couple of days. I mean, obviously an emotional um, week for Bills Mafia, the high of the AFC championship game, which we all know and covered that this was such a long time coming to kind of get back to the stage for this fan base. And then the, the obviously steep decline uh, on Sunday night when they just got... Uh, overmatched by a Kansas City Chiefs team. And a lot of, that's come out in the last couple of days, talking to Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean has been, listen, they're the gold standard. We we realize that we're not there yet. We have a ways to go work to be done. So I guess from your perspective, being somebody that, you know, really familiar with this team in a lot of these Zoom calls, getting a chance to talk to players, coaches, how far are away are they?
2: It's a really good question. I think that when you look at Kansas city and I think it's something that came up quite a bit over the last two days on these zoom calls is the speed that they possess offensively. And look, Tyreek Hill, whatever you want to call him, the human cheat code, whatever, there's, there's not much you can do with that. To me, it's sort of like, all right, well let's try to take him out of the game and then let's, let's focus on the other guys and make sure they don't beat us. And and Kelsey obviously got loose a, a whole bunch in that first half. I think there is, I mean, there's still work to be done because they do. You have to get faster there. And I don't, you know, I don't know whether you do that through the draft or whether you're trying to do it with an established player already. And obviously we're talking about a team in Buffalo, as many teams across the league. The cap is gonna be difficult to maneuver this year based on COVID-19 and and sort of where it's gonna fall at 175, 180 million. But I don't think it's <laughs> the gap is it's wide, but I don't know that it's like insurmountable to me. I think this team in many cases with some of its key players they should continue to get better. Josh Allen should get should continue to get better. Stefan Diggs with Josh Allen should get better. Clearly they they're, they're going to make a more commitment uh, bigger commitment to running the football and whether that means um, getting a little bit stronger up front or improving in the backfield at the running back position. I just I, there's a gap but I don't think it's like this thing that can't be can't be overcome. And, and let's face it too, Kansas City this year, they've been healthy I mean, you were healthy, too, for the better part of the year, but Kansas City didn't have any problems with any of its big dogs. They've all been out there. They're all playing, and they'll all be playing on Super Bowl Sunday uh, 10 days or so from now. You,
0: you know, is there one position that you could pinpoint, though, and say maybe that's what Buffalo needs to match up better with the team like Kansas City? Uh, for me, I would almost say maybe it's, it's that elite edge rusher, and I know those guys are hard to find, but Josh Allen consistently under pressure in that game, The pocket was collapsing. He was scrambling around. Took a few pretty bad sacks in the game where it felt like Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, Mm -hmm. had as much time as he needed. Uh, Guys were getting open. So, is there one position, two positions where you think the Bills really do need to upgrade to close that gap?
2: Well, for starters, when we're talking about young players, Ed Oliver's got to take the next step. And I think what he was projected to be coming out of school and to what he's been this far. And I know I think because Brandon was talking today about how yeah he had a really good year in the second half of the year, but some of the numbers aren't really going to show themselves because he's getting double a lot. Well, to your point, if you have someone who commands a little bit more attention on the outside, maybe that frees him up. And if you looked at what Kansas City did against Allen – Sometimes that pressure came from the inside, so it's not like you have to have the the elite guy on the outside to get it done. But certainly, when you look at what they got out of their their edge guys, Jerry Hughes had a nice little spell there. But maybe Jerry's better served being sort of a spot guy, someone you use on third down and third down alone. Um, so yeah, I think that's certainly an area that they could look to upgrade in the off season. But to me, it's about sort of not lighting a fire because they think he's motivated, but. Can Ed take the next step? Josh took a huge step in year two to year three. Can Ed do the same thing defensively?
3: You know, Ed's a great conversation piece because, you know, I actually asked Brandon about that today on the call and I kind of phrased it in a way, in kind of a, a gentle way, I mean, fans are are prone to overreact. I yeah. think sometimes with struggles and so so on and so forth. But you know, there's there's some people that are already calling you know guys like Ed, guys like Tremaine Edmonds' boss, which I think is way too far. I think that there's they're both young players. To your point, they got to be better, but there's there's room to grow, and they've they've shown that they can develop guys. But I think that in the case of Allen, you mentioned him, he's shown an ability to take that next step year after year. And I asked him the other day about, was this moment too big? Because we've talked about those moments in the past being too big. I, I didn't think it was. He kind of His explanation kind of showed me that he didn't think it was. But do you feel like there's kind of another level that you're anticipating for him next year? And this is something that maybe, okay, as they say, you, you kind of got to learn through the losses how to win.
2: I definitely think there is some of that that comes into play that you have to experience it, taste it, and now you have this bitter disappointment that's going to linger with you for the entire offseason. And if you thought you made it, you didn't make it because you fell way short in the AFC title game. And the admission, as we talked about earlier, that Kansas City is the gold standard, then that's something they're going to be watching and going to be paying attention to and going to be measuring themselves against Kansas City during the offseason, what's Pat Mahomes doing today? What you know? How how can I get better today? How can we get better as a group? I don't know. I mean, Josh can eliminate some of the the 25-yard sacks. He took a few of those in the postseason, which were scary. I I don't want to curb his willingness to sort of lay himself out there because I think it's part of what makes him a great player. But some of the lowering the shoulder stuff
0: mm-hmm.
2: has got to be concerning if you're being like, look, man, we – Lamar Jackson runs too, and Lamar is a different kind of runner, but Lamar is slippery, and he doesn't ever really take that big hit. Now, Josh is not the same kind of runner, but you got to do a better job of protecting yourself because, again, we're looking at we want you there for the long haul. We don't want this to be fits and starts. We need you out there for all 16 in the postseason. I think the other thing for me with Josh is I think he showed me enough in year two to believe that he was going to make a leap here in year three but I was thinking more like, well, he went from 52 to 59% completion from year one to year two. I was thinking 64 65 was the number I had in my head. Like, if he gets to that number with the things that they've assembled around him, they're going to be a good team, and they're going to be a good team for a long time. Well, he went to this other place that I'm not even sure Brian Dayball, Sean McDermott, and Brandon Bean could have predicted. Now, can he stay there? That's an interesting question because if you look at some of the advanced metrics, they'll say – Completion percentage rate was about 4% higher than expected this year, not just from my numbers, but from their numbers. So does mm-hmm. that come down a little bit? Um, you heard, I think uh, I think it was Brandon today, about we scored over 500 points. Maybe you can't expect to do that each and every year, but even if that number comes down to 67 or 66, they're still scoring 450, 475. They're still going to be that team that is, is dangerous and, and can put a lot of points on the board. I think another point, and I don't – I might be jumping all around here, but tight end. I think Dawson Knox showed me enough as a rookie to thought that he was going to make this big leap. I think John Brown said it in the offseason. He's like, everybody's sleeping on him. He's the guy who's going to really be the breakout star this year. That didn't quite happen for him, although he did play much better at the end Mm -hmm. than he did in the beginning because of injuries. But can he take another step? And maybe that sort of mitigates some of the stuff I'm talking about and gives Josh those easy underneath completions that Cole gives him a lot of times if Dawson can give that to you too then maybe that number can stay in a 68
3: 69%. You um you were the one that unearthed uh Cole Beasley's Staggering. uh injury uh, um, uh admission the other day and one of the comments here uh watching live was Mike's reaction to that when he said that was priceless was great. Yeah. And <clears throat> I know one of the things that I took away from Sunday's game was that while watching Kansas City's offense, they're so comfortable in their own skin. They're so they they know what they have a mission when they go on the field. They know how to attack you, they know the answers when you take things away, and they just rely on the guys. They they have those guys that they know what they can do, they rely on them. And I feel like the Bills are in kind of this infancy of trying to get to that like Cole Beasley to me what we saw on Sunday was that guy and it it becomes even more impressive when you know what he was playing through Mm -hmm. but even Stefan Diggs as great as he was this year and he made some plays don't get me wrong but they played a certain way against him they got physical and they kind of neutralized him. they took away those big time plays that you know fans had been accustomed to seeing him make
2: yeah, and I think Kansas City's approach to that was pretty simple, right? Like we're not going to let Diggs get that 60-yard play against us. We're not giving up the big play. Meanwhile, you defensively are looking at Tyreek Hill, and he's running all over the place on you making huge plays, and sort of that's the difference in approach. But there it is. Kelsey's underneath, and he can do all these things. Well, where's the, the Dawson Knox? Where's that tight end to do that for you? And I think they were probably looking at it saying, Beasley's a really nice player. He's a, an incredible security blanket for – for Josh Allen, but he's not, he alone is not going to beat us. He's going to, you know, he'll get his 10, he'll get his 12, he'll get his seven or eight catches, but that's not going to be the thing that breaks us down. Whereas we know, you know, we can nickel and dime a few times underneath with Kelsey, but then when we get that single coverage with Tyreek, we can go over the top. And, you know, it's not just Tyreek too. It's Nicole Hardman, who obviously made some big plays in that game after his fumble and the punt return That's that speed. Like you can't, that's track speed, but they're also good football players. And I think I, – I don't know if that was, again, I'm the two days are blurring together, whether it was Sean or Brandon who said it, but you you have this speed. You don't, just don't want speed. You have to get speed that can play football. Those are two guys that have speed, world-class speed, and can play football.
0: You know, Mike, you've mentioned this once, and Brendan mentioned it quite a few times in his presser, and and that's the cap situation going into the offseason. Where do you see that landing? Uh, at one point, it was supposed to be in, in the – 205, 210. Then with the pandemic, we've heard 175. Do you think it's going to end up being somewhere in the middle of that? Uh, You know, I just want to get your thoughts on what you think the cap situation will end up looking like.
2: I think there's going to be a hard sell from the NFL owners to the PA about the idea of maybe taking a little money from future years so that we don't have this massive glut of players that are going to be left without jobs and then left without decent paychecks, if you will. And I think that's the situation you're in. You're already talking, I think, if I read correctly, I think there's 16 teams already over the cap for next year. This is without doing anything. This is without signing your own players. This is without signing your draft picks. That's an outrageous number of teams. I mean, you've gotten to the point where you depend on this this big leap every year of 8 to 10%. And teams, obviously, they went into this past offseason thinking that that was the way it was going to be. And then the pandemic rages on. You can't get fans in the stands or you get very limited fans and your revenue goes way down. So I think that's going to be a push and pull between the PA and the league to maybe, hey, guys, we don't want to drop it down to 175. What do you say about 185? What do you say about 190? Can we get there? You know, 180 is the number I've heard over and over again recently, and I guess that's better than nothing. But that's a concern, uh, and it should be a concern for the PA as well because I've mentioned I just think right now there are going to be so many – guys that are going to lose jobs um, because of the cap situation and then the market's going to be just glutted with these guys and you're not teams aren't going to be able to you know how many teams have the money to do it I mean I'm based in, in just outside of Boston the Patriots are one of the teams that are way under the cap they're between 57 and 60 depending on the number projected number right now that's sort of the idea and so everybody's like oh they're going to pounce well what people aren't thinking about is yeah, they have a bunch of their own guys that they have to take care of too. You know the, So right away, you're cutting into that. And then I just think we're talking about this massive potential uh, jumping around for quarterbacks this year. And I think Schefter tweeted something like he could see 18 teams changing quarterbacks. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's doable, if the cap is going to stay stuck at that level because then I'm not going to eat that much dead money and then have to go out and find another quarterback. I just it, – it, it's – that's going to be a real tricky situation to navigate. And I think they're still in the sort of the infancy stages of trying to figure out how to make that work and make sure that both sides are happy.
3: Mm -hmm. You know, as we start to dive into some of the potential names that the bills are obviously going to have some of these tough decisions, as Brandon Bean said today, I mean, obviously Matt Milano is at the top of that list. I think he showed this year. I mean, they were 12 and 0 going into that AFC title game with him in the lineup this year, his value on that defense is, undeniable and with still so many questions I think about Tremaine Edmonds' long-term viability at middle linebacker. And I say that just in the sense that listen, this guy's going to a second Pro Bowl this year. I mean he's right. I, I think he's a lot better than you know even his harshest critics uh or, or lightest critics want to give him credit for. But right now you do kind of have a sure thing in Milano when he can stay healthy. And being mentioned that today. Where do you think think things shake out? We we're talking a little bit about this at the top of the show. You got Milano, but you got Edmonds too. And then on the offensive side, I think Daryl Williams really showed the value at right tackle this year. And sometimes I think you got to kind of guess that they'll they'll maybe go to the side of the ball that has Josh Allen on it when they when talk about resources.
2: Uh, in my personal opinion, I would do everything. I, I would be building everything around Josh, you know. And I don't want to take pieces away from the defense. But if you're asking me to pick from one side or the other. Do I think Milano is a better player than Williams? Yes, I do. But because of the position that he plays and the importance of that in the league, because we always talk left tackle, left tackle, left tackle. Well, now it doesn't really matter. You need good tackles on both sides. And and he certainly gave them that. The sense in reading the tea leaves a little bit from, from, from the conversations over the last couple of days was that they kind of feel like maybe Williams has already priced himself out. Now, I, I'm, again, I don't have any inside information on it. He just seemed a little bit more pessimistic about the idea of bringing Williams back, or at least that's how I I heard it in my head, versus the idea of Matt Milano. Oh, well, we already told Matt we want him back. Now, we understand he's obviously in a position where he's earned the right to go to free agency, but both Sean and Brandon have said, you know, we want you to come back. So to me, it it almost was like an admission that maybe Williams, and because of how tackles are getting paid, Trent Brown being a perfect example. Again, coming mm. from from the New England area, you know Trent has one good year with the Patriots after getting traded, after being sort of an inconsistent piece in San Francisco that couldn't stay healthy. Has a great year left tackle and then gets paid more money than any left tackle in football, which I believe that number's already been uh, surpassed uh, with the way the cap has gone. But that's sort of the idea. To me, I could see Williams getting, you know, north of $10 million a year from a team desperate for a tackle. And if you're the Buffalo Bills and you're in the current, Plate that you're in with the cap and and some of the players you have to look at keeping long term. That's probably a tough pill and probably a pill they won't they won't be able to swallow.
3: A heck of a pitch, I know. Ryan, just let me say this real quick. Heck of a pitch that Brandon Bean's going to have once the cap returns to normal. Look what I've done for guys like Jordan Phillips and you know Daryl Williams. I mean, guys that were you know kind of getting close to you know, that danger zone of, you know, the next stop was going to be maybe the last stop. And this has kind of turned into a place, and obviously the success helps, but a place where players can come and kind of,
2: you know, reclaim their career a little bit. Yeah, you guys will find this out because I think I'm a believer that this team is built and has been built in the right way and that barring anything disastrous happening will continue to be a team that's in the mix. You're going to see this all the time now. I mean, it's something that you look at the successful teams and you see the mid-level guys get paid by somebody else and you go, I, I mean, I love Trey Flowers when he was in New England. I thought he was a terrific player, versatile guy, play inside, outside for them. They stood him up at times. Um, he got $58 million or $60 million guaranteed from Detroit a couple off seasons ago. And it was like, well, they got the best out of him. And that's way more money than he's worth. And they just were like, okay, well, good luck. Take, you know, like, did they miss him? Of course they miss him, but they didn't miss him at, at $15 million a year. And I think that's sort of the position that Buffalo is going to find themselves in, where some of these guys are just, because of the success and because of the eyeballs on it, they're going to get paid maybe even more than you expect them to get paid in the offseason. Because I thought Flowers was going to get paid. I didn't think he was going to get paid like that. I thought Trent Brown was going to get paid. I didn't think he was going to pay, get paid like that. And I think that's sort of. Maybe this year is the anomaly because of where the cap's going to go. But I think in general, that's what you're going to see over and over again. And that's a quite frankly, it's a good place to be because that means you're good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and another avenue that Bills could try to get some cap space is with obviously some cut candidates, some restructures. Uh, and three names that Bills fans have brought up a lot are John Brown, Mitch Morse, uh, and then Mario Addison. You know, John Brown... It wasn't that long ago they did a career year in Buffalo. It was two seasons ago. Very injured this year. We saw what Gabriel Davis could do. Different type of player, but he stepped up uh, opposite Stefan Diggs and and Cole Beasley this year. We know about Mitch Morris, the concussion history. We know if they re-sign Feliciano, he has the versatility to play at center. And then with Addison, I think he brings a lot to the locker room. Don't get me wrong. But they also brought him in with this, hey, you know, averaging about nine sacks a season over this span of time. And then he didn't quite meet that goal. And consistent edge pressure was something this team still needs to find. So where do you land on maybe the Bills having to make some of these really tough decisions?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would think that John Brown is the first guy that, to my mind, that they're going to go to and say, you're taking a cut or you're, you're out. And I, I, and you're right to the point just a couple seasons ago, what he was able to do. And I think he certainly brings a different element than Gabe Davis does, but I think now they're going to look at it and say, well, we have Diggs, We have Beasley Davis is coming on. Now we feel good about ourselves. Are we pick Davis and we, we assimilated him into the program. You know, I know it's a different position, but Dawson Knox has given them some production at tight end. So I got a feeling that they feel pretty good about their ability to identify talent at those skill positions and plug and play guys. So to me, you go to Brown and you say, you got to take a big cut or you're getting cut. Uh, I think Addison's another one where, look, the defense played a lot better in the second half of the year, clearly, and especially post by from weeks 12 on, um, but you didn't get enough production there. And that's something that, that's, a, that's a pretty sizable number for a guy who's good in the locker room and is a steadying presence on the field, but not giving you, as you mentioned, the sort of, Splash plays or the consistent pressure that you want from the edge. And I would say that's an issue to me. I don't but Dion is probably their best. Not probably Dion's their best offensive lineman. I still have a, uh, a strong belief in Mitch as a, as a player, mm-hmm. but obviously there were some things going on this year and it wasn't, you know, we heard maybe, well, it was, he had the concussion. And then we gave him the extra day, but then things went well. So then we can, well, you don't really do that when you have a, that much invested in a player um, so that makes me think that there's there's something there that they didn't see from him, that they didn't love from him this year from a performance standpoint. But again, I thought when he came back in the lineup and was reinserted, he played pretty well. He's just, he's not a mauler for sure. And I think maybe maybe that's an area where they look at and say, well, don't we, you know, run the ball as well as we would like. Maybe we like our backs. Maybe that's something that we do. We, get a, we need to get a little bit more physical up front. But uh, I look at Brown first and Addison second. And uh, to me, I just think Mitch is a better player than both of those guys. And he'd be the one I'd want to keep around more than the other two. And that, again, not a slight against the other two guys, just saying for for overall bang for the buck, I, I still think Morris is a really good player.
3: Yeah, I think that you're spot on with that. And I think that the, the writing was on the wall with this in the season. And I know that he was dealing with some injuries, but you look at how aggressively the Bills were down the stretch at bringing in wide receivers. I mean, obviously Kenny Stills is, is one guy, but Mm -hmm. they brought in Tanner Gentry. They brought in JJ Nelson. They brought in Gary Jennings guys that they were just kind of bringing in to take a look at it. I mean, you'd probably know better than me in this scenario, but I think it's, you look at what John Brown did this season in this role, the secondary role, Stefan Diggs, and they probably sit back and think, yeah, we do have Gabriel Davis to your point. And maybe that role that John Brown's now filling in this offense we can find someone cheaper to to fill that role.
2: Yeah, I mean, and look, at, I mean, he obviously has had some some great moments as a bill, and he's done some some big things for them. But there were too many times this year in big spots, whether it be because of injury and he couldn't play, or maybe the injury's lingering, and we just we still don't know the the full extent of it, that he didn't give you the bang for your buck that was necessary, and that to me is. Again, I think that's a position where you feel like you could probably find somebody. I mean, th- who, uh, who, the, who was the guy they pulled off from the street from Green Bay who caught a touchdown pass and then got cut the next Jake week? Kumaro. Yeah, thank you. Right, <laughs> touchdown, Jesus. And he, just signed, Jesus. A, and he <laughs> just signed a futures contract, right? Didn't he just right, sign? Right, so, right, right. right. I mean, right. and look, I'm not saying that Jake is, is the player that John is, but to me <clears> it's almost like, well, look, we didn't get a lot from John and we were paying him this much, and then we plugged in a guy, and because Josh Allen is so good and because of the attention that Steph and Cole get, this guy gets a touchdown so you know you you can maybe find a way to save a lot of money there
0: you know mike we've we've talked about some potential upgrades that this roster needs but in the draft the bills are going to be picking toward the end of the first round so are there really any realistic upgrades that the bills could make in, in round 1 i i know fans are clamoring for running backs because obviously they've been falling late in round 1 the top guys are usually still there where you know, the, the top edge rusher is not going to be there. Uh, the top tight end in this draft class, it's highly unlikely that Pitts will be there. But is there a position running back or more than that that the Bills could get and, and plug right in to be an immediate upgrade?
2: Well, I, a receiver. I, this is another, for the second straight year, we're talking about a what some people are viewing as a really an historically good talented group at wide receiver and you saw the impact that so many of these guys made this past season that were in that draft class in the first few rounds you know whether it be Jefferson Von Jefferson Claypool on and on the list Gabe Davis obviously on and on the list goes of guys that made an impact and I think because of the way the college game has actually drifted more into the program pro game I think it's easier for some of these guys to assimilate into pro programs So that's a spot that I would look at and say there's the potential for some good talent later in the draft at that spot. And to your point, you know, if John Brown is the guy who gets cut, well, you know, we have Gabe Davis. He's a different kind of guy. And now we plugged in maybe a speedier guy that can play the John Brown role. And we're getting him on a rookie contract, which obviously is an important thing. And I always believe, and again, it's sort of witnessing it from up close and personal with the way the Patriots did have done business. Is big bodies. I don't think you can ever go wrong with a with a big offensive lineman or a big defensive lineman, those interior guys that can that plug up holes and give you some stout run defense or hey, it's a guard, but this guy's got some position flexibility and gives you that versatility that he can play some as a rookie, but also can grow a little bit. And you have that that depth and balance. And again, you're doing it with an eye to the future as well saying, well, we might not pay this guy or this guy's going to price himself a guard out of the market that we want to pay for a guard. But now we have someone in there. So I, I think that's, those are two positions I always look at and think like, okay, you, you can, you can usually have good success there. I, I don't think the bust rate to me, at least is not that high when you're picking guys in the interior.
3: Um, yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, you think about the guy that they didn't have this year on the D-line, Starla Tulele, they got him at 14 in the draft a few years ago, but you know, those guys are, are, are so important and they kind of, kind of fall underneath the radar. I want to let you get out of here before I do, you know, what are you hearing or what are your expectations? Obviously, David Culley seems to be the guy, uh, trending upwards in Houston. Uh, a lot of bills fans are, are kind of watching closely with this whole Leslie Frazier, uh, situation in Houston, Cully obviously as well. Uh, what are you hearing? What are your expectations for that whole situation?
2: It, it does seem like Cully has gained momentum here. It's it, it's it's obviously an interesting time for Houston, and we know all the, the kind of issues that they're going through in terms of Deshaun Watson and his feelings about – it's really about ownership and, and about Jack Easterby, who has become this sort of all-encompassing influencer in Houston. And uh, I, I don't think it was ever the role that he was – suited for, but somehow as he's ascended to in that position, I believe he's making three and a half million dollars a year. So there's a lot of clout that Jack Easterby holds in that Houston organization that, you know, I know talking to some people here in new England where he worked prior to um, they have great belief in him as the guy who's sort of the, the team chaplain and the guy, the character coach and sort of, you know, he was the guy that when they brought in Josh Gordon the first time and he sort of was the watchdog for Josh Gordon and talked to Josh and spent a lot of time with him. And now all of a sudden he's elevated into this unbelievable decision maker kingpin sort of role there, which is, is crazy to me. I, I don't ever want to say that you don't want to take a head coaching job because there's 32 of them, right? And mm-hmm. if you're Leslie, you could be looking at this saying, maybe this is my last crack at it, but I think he's in a pretty good place, and if if they decide to go with Cully and and Leslie is, quote-unquote, forced to stay in Buffalo, I don't think that that's a bad thing for Buffalo, and I don't think that's a bad thing for Leslie. Again, I, I he obviously wants to be a head coach again. He wouldn't be going through the process of trying to do it, but uh, they got a good thing going there in, in Buffalo. And you tell me. You guys are up there. You hear more from fans of Buffalo. Are they down on Leslie based on what happened in the AFC title game against Kansas City? Is that is that sort of the vibe I'm picking up? us a,
3: a subsect of the fan base which i think is absolutely crazy coming off of that masterpiece against baltimore obviously like listen i i, I think leslie we haven't had a chance to talk to him we won't the coordinators again yeah. uh until you know in a usual year we get to talk to him at the combine maybe for a few minutes but you know they, they probably would die or sk- scheme up a little bit differently and not play so uh you know give a lot of cushions to the receivers play a little yeah. more physical but hindsight's always twenty twenty. At the end of the day, the talent level won out because of what the Chiefs had to work with, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I think, that, again, they're the better team right now. They are the gold standard. And you've got to, if you're Brandon Bean, you've got to find ways to sort of meet that, that challenge head on and, and add to your team in, in manners in which, because it really is comes down to now when you're building and you're at this point, now it's you really do have to focus on them. How do we defend Tyreek Hill? How do we or how do we defend Travis Kelsey where we can put one body on him and we can, if not erase him, make him significantly less responsible for what happened to us in the AFC title game? And that's I think that's kind of how you have to look now. You have to figure that out because that's the next step of becoming the team that you don't just keep looking up and saying that the gold standard and we just were close, but we're not close enough. Now you got to go find that. And that's on that's on Brandon, quite frankly. Yeah, and you know, in the comments,
3: some some astute comments here. There is compens- compensatory picks that are obviously a play, and that's something you know that fans really like. You know, get excited about adding draft picks is something yeah. that's always super excited. And listen, you, that's all well and good, and and I and I get that if, if if you're coming at it from that angle. But there's also another piece to this that you have to replace. Leslie Frazier. And, you know, there's a lot of candidates on the staff right now. I mean, Eric Washington was the DC and Carolina. There's a lot of respect there with Sean McDermott, but you just brought him in here to, to kind of rework this defensive line that they talked about some, a learning curve there and a a time to gel, do you want to, you know, flush that whole thing again and, and bring in a new guy again on that line where you you really need improvements there, especially with Sean, who values the work in the trenches so much? There's a lot of moving parts to this that I think it's sometimes better to just leave well enough alone.
2: I think you're always better when it comes to coaching staffs. The 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 more continuity you have, the better off you are. And you're looking at, obviously, Brian Dayball was the hot name all year. And, and you know... Lucky for Buffalo, LA moved quickly, didn't hire him because it looked like that was his job. And so you get him back for another year. I think that's great for Josh. I think that's great for the entire offense. And no matter what you feel about what happened with the defense this year with Leslie, the numbers over the last four years and what he's done and where he's put your defense at and, and some of the pieces that he's had to work on, to and I really do believe the way that they sort of – reworked things after the buy and the way they played after the buy was more representative of the defense that they are than what they showed earlier in the season. And maybe that's some of the COVID lingering effects of not being able to work together in the off season, you know, losing star, which, you know, I'm sure people didn't say like, that's the worst thing in the world, but they missed that body and they missed that size in the middle. Like those are the sorts of things that you can't, you couldn't initially adapt to, but I think eventually they did, and you you end up again. You end up in the AFC Championship game. You're one of four best teams in the National Football League. Um, that's a pretty good place to be when you consider where this program was when Sean and Brandon took over.
3: Mike Giardi, bringing the goods. Thank you so much. I look Anytime. forward to seeing you in, uh, you know, hopefully not Zooms. Hopefully we could see each other yeah. in person in July. would be, uh, be, be real nice, wouldn't it? It,
2: it really, really has lit. been. And I, you know, I, I, I hope that we're in a place where we're able to do that. Although I, God knows it's not trending in that direction right. right now. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Thanks so much, Mike.
3: Enjoy nice your uh, night and your off season. Thanks guys. Take care.
2: Ready for football?
3: Tops is with ready to serve fan favorites. Everyone will cheer for delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> I saw the back crack, Matt. Oh, yeah. Well, I was referring to Mike Giardi, uh, bringing no, up, some really good stuff. But you are right. I So Ryan and I can see each other when you guys can't during those commercial breaks. And I always go back for the big realignment. And like we talked about the other day, and that was uh, elite. That was elite level uh, stuff. You know, yeah. listen, we're going to have Jeremiah Searles on here. Uh, he'll be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, any questions that you guys have, let us know. Um, We'll obviously be back on Wednesday next week, um, but we want to take any of your questions guys. And this is your show. You know, we love uh, the live audience um, and and getting your uh, involvement. I know we don't do a great job of that. Every show I tell people that all the time, like when I talk to fans, like we do all these zoom uh, we've done a lot of zoom fan Q and A's over the season and it's just tough to navigate. Like I know some shows put the comments on the screen. We try to do that sometimes, but it just gets a little bit too clunky and I'm trying to, keep my thoughts together. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not a good uh, multitasker, Ryan.
0: No, and I get that because when, when you were in KC, you're like, hey, can you do this? And I was like, oh, man, I got to do – I got to hit this button. I got to look at it. <laughs> like, oh, I was actually
3: – I was I was <laughs> really enjoying that from not the that. Uh, tailgate area in Kansas City outside of Arrowhead, watching you fumble through it because Ryan's oh. such a champ. I threw that on him last second um, to – I gotta give an email to uh, to Jeremiah too. I forgot about that. Um, uh, I just threw that on you last second, and you took on it, took it on. So I appreciate that.
0: No problem. And you know, like you were just saying, uh, Mike was was excellent here tonight. And one thing you guys were talking about toward the end of the segment was if the Bills lose Leslie Frazier, you have to replace him as defensive coordinator. But not only that, who's Frazier most likely going to bring along with him if if he gets a head coaching job? some of these assistants that are currently on this Bills defense or or on this coaching staff in general. So all of a sudden it's not just replace the defensive coordinator. It could be replacing three or four different coaches. And when you're at the end of the cycle where the only uh, job that's really open right now is the Houston Texans and all the others have been filled. And a lot of these assistants have been filled. It's not like there's going to be a long list of candidates left over on the outside. You're going to be hiring promoting internally and then maybe filling up some of those lower level, uh, coaching jobs from the, from the outside.
3: Indeed. Well, we're going to get Jeremiah Searles in here in a minute, former Buffalo bills, offensive lineman. Um, we're going to just, we'll break, we'll break down this game a little bit more. We'll break down this season, look ahead, um, uh, quite a bit. That was some great, uh, insight on, you know, the bills early off season from Mike and, you know, how far they have to go. Because I think if you're a bills fan sitting here right now, that's kind of what you're left to kind of stew over for the next eight months is, man, those chiefs looked really, really good. And like, but I think that here's something that I think you can kind of put in your pipe and smoke it for lack of a better um, expression, make you feel a little bit good over the course of the next eight months. I feel like Sean McDermott, for all of his faults, and, and when I say faults, I mean, he's been a successful head coach, but I mean, the stuff that maybe you know fans grow tired of, I mean, you, so I, I've seen a lot of the comments, like sometimes watching his press conferences, trust me, I'm in all of them. Sometimes they can be a little bit repetitive and uh, a lot of coach speak in there, definitely from the Belichick School of Press Conference. He has proven to be a guy that A, his players want to play for. B, somebody that from a game planning perspective has done a really nice job of the course of his career game planning for good offenses and also making adjustments in those game plans. So I thought what you, you think about what didn't work against Lamar last year and what they kind of changed up. I thought that this year they did a really good job in, in how they changed that in this matchup against Lamar. You know, I think now after two bouts with Patrick Mahomes, you gotta go back to the drawing board. But I think that there's some excitement there if you're a Bills fan for what they could possibly do. And speaking of excitement, hmm. man, I'm excited. Okay, man, we're Hi, getting friend. the man back in the saddle. And you know why I say back in the saddle? Because I see you out there on the Peloton, and I got hey. the Peloton. I got I got a little – little. we got ourselves a little spin bike here. I've been mm. getting up on it, and I've been watching the Peloton classes, and the guy's like, all right, everybody, we're going to come out of the saddle here. And so now <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, all right, I'll use it right here. Jeremiah Searles, what's up, buddy?
1: Hey, guys. How you guys doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, I actually got in the saddle this morning. I got to get back into it. I had to, had to ride those beers off of, uh, off of the Saturday game.
3: Yeah, so you were in the house I was. in Kansas City. I'm trying to um I'm trying to get something uploaded here because I want to I want to play it. But before um I do,
1: I have a guess what it might be.
3: Yeah, <laughs> before I do, give me your impressions of just the environment. I mean, being out at the tailgate, going, we'll talk about the game, we'll talk about this team, but yeah, yeah. what was that like now was that the first game you ever experienced as a fan?
1: Second. Okay. So, third okay, game okay. technically. So, I went to the Super Bowl in 2017 when it was in Minneapolis just because we went to the NFC championship that year with the Vikings and then everything was right there in our backyard so kind of like you know my wife and I we got to experience Super Bowl week right so we got to go to the parties and do all the fun stuff and then go to the game and if you've ever get a chance to go to a Super Bowl you should go because the production that happens during the game is pretty cool i mean it's it's a pretty remarkable thing to watch and see the shows tear up tear down and the whole bit and how it's all like one living organism um and then in 2019 when I was rehabbing my ankle, I went to a Vikings game because I was rehabbing Minnesota. Uh went to a Vikings game with my wife and a couple friends there when they played the Raiders. And then this was now my third game going to Kansas City Buffalo as a as a fan.
3: Wow. And what but, was it like? I mean, it looked yeah. like it looked like it- old times. I mean, I was walking through the tailgate, going uh, up to the stadium and up to the press box, and it was it was a beautiful thing to see. Oh,
1: it was fantastic. It was the first sense of normalcy that I got to see in the 2020 football season. I mean, the chance of guys walking around tailgate to tailgate, and hey, here's a beer, here's a beer, and like hanging out and meeting people and, and the whole bit there. And uh, yeah, I, I met a nice guy who's from Buffalo. They drove all the way from Buffalo, New York, and he saw me, and he ended up recognizing who I was, and he's like, hey, you want to go through a table? I said, I've always wanted to, so why not? So we, we, we go ahead. My only regret is not getting a little <laughs> higher. I feel like I should have got – I mean, my form here finishing the beer, though, I think is pretty
3: – The beer is solid. You got it all in your beard, which is elite. You were pretty pumped about it. But to your point, yeah. The, leap, I mean, the uh, leap could have been the a leg there. More. Yeah, I mm-hmm. understand.
1: The form though with the
0: elbow was solid. I thought the form coming through was great.
1: I just I wasn't sure like how hard I wanted to hit that ground. It was kind of cold and like you know I was like this is before the game. I don't want to like ruin my game with like a broken <laughs> hip or something ridiculous like that, but I mean great people. I mean I saw a ton of Buffalo fans. I mean there was a ton of Buffalo fans there. I mean and people that literally like we drove for the last two days to get here. Like we just got in the car and we just we just went. And I was like, man, that's that's pretty dang cool. And I just wow, – my heart still goes out thinking of what Orchard Park could have been like for those two Buffalo home playoff games. I mean, oh the tailgating scene and just what it would have been like in those parking lots would have been something you could have made a movie out of, I feel like.
3: Yeah. And I'm actually kind of glad now looking back and thinking about it that you went at the table the way you did. Because I saw another video on social media – where the guy went to jump on the table and missed and landed like, you know, there's going to be some spinal issues there. Uh, He landed (laughs) right on the concrete. So listen, great idea on your your part. Yeah,
1: I, I wanted to be a little risky. And at that point, I hadn't had as many beers as I had quite had by the time the game was over. So probably a safe bet that I did it then and not after the game.
3: So we've had a couple of days to digest um, everything that happened there. Uh, you saw it in person, obviously. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, looking ahead, because, you know, I yep. think if you're a fan, obviously, you know, you don't want to stew on this too much. But I think that there are some things we can extrapolate from this game and talk about and kind of lead into that conversation. And first and foremost, I want to start in an area where, you know, close to an offensive lineman's heart, the run game. Yeah. And, you know, obviously leading into this game, that's been a, a, a talking point for weeks and weeks and weeks, all season, really. The, with the the Bills kind of assuming this identity, uh, you know, where they're pass happy. I mean, they're the the pass game is the identity of this offense. Mm-hmm. I feel like the run game is just kind of uh kind of dangled off to the side. And and that lack of um continuity there or that lack of just using it the same way they did a year ago, I think bled into a lot of the issues. What do you think from an overarching standpoint has been the issue? Not only in that game, but like running in general this year.
1: You know, so much of run blocking, from what people don't understand, is a congruency of all five offensive linemen plus a tight end and a running back, right? So, You have to think the front three of this—I'm Buffalo Bill said Viking. This Buffalo Bill offensive line has been shuffled really the entire season. You had Cody Ford, you had Feliciano, you had Winners, you had Mitch Morris at center and at guard, and it really was this revolving door of shuffling in the middle. And so when you don't have again no OTAs, when you don't have all of these things where you can build that foundation with those guys in there, and then all of a sudden you're like, all right, hey let's go work together in the run game here. It can be hard, especially with some guys that are first-time starters And Ike Bucker, Feliciano misses the first, I think, 11 weeks or seven weeks of the season or whatever it was, so he's just kind of getting himself back into form, and it just seemed like it never clicked. Um, it seemed like it just was never there to be able to get everything moving together in one direction of combo blocks moving seamlessly, pin-pull blocks going seamlessly, and I don't think we ever found an identity of a run game of something you can just be like, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's a 4-3, a 3-4, a, a 5-2. Like We can run this play against anything, against anyone, because we're good at it. And I don't think they ever found that as the run game. And the only way you can continue to do that and continue to find that it's just by having the same five guys practice in the same five spots over and over and over again until they become one solid unit all five people moving as one together I think we saw a little bit more of that towards the end especially in the passer game but in the run game it just never quite got to that point
0: Jeremiah when you're in a pass heavy offense how hard is it to get a a reliable run game going
1: You know, I think it's not as hard as you think because a lot of people say you got to run the ball to pass, right? Well, I mean, a lot of times if you're passing the ball effectively, you're going to have friendly boxes to run into. You're going to have guys, if they know you're throwing it 40, 45 times a game, they're going to say, hey, we got to put maybe a smaller linebacker out there in a dime package or a nickel package to cover Cole Beasley or to cover Isaiah McKenzie or to cover all these guys that are running all around. And so you can get friendly 5-1 boxes 4-2 boxes where you have numbers where you're able to come at these guys, whether it's inside run, zone scheme, the RPOs, whatever it might be. But until you stick to a commitment to the run, which I think a lot of times, and Dable did a phenomenal job this year, but like every offensive coordinator, if you run a play early, and it's a run game and it doesn't go well. Offensive coordinators kind of be like, I knew it. I told you back to the past game, right? Like they just kind of fall back to what they know. And they never gave Dable a bunch of confidence. So they just stuck to what they knew and they did well. But that's a dangerous, like, live by the sword, die by the sword, unless your name's Patrick Mahomes, where you're just going to bet that always your quarterbacks on And Josh for the most part was on more than he was off this year, but that's not something you can rely on that much. You need to have a solid run game. You can fall back to if you want to continue to have the 13 and three type seasons that they had this year.
3: You know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and bang the TJ Yeldon drum by any stretch of the <laughs> imagination. Listen, he's a good player. I like him, Yeah. but I thought that maybe going to him sooner might've kind of energized things because not because I think he's a better than Singletary, but I think he's better right now than Devin mm. Singletary. He's been in this league a long time. He's familiar with, you know, what he's just had more looks as a professional running back. So I think when you had, you saw that when he got his shot, I thought he hit the hole quicker. I thought he was more um decisive. I thought he was more aggressive and he wasn't as tentative. And I thought that that was a big problem. And I think, over the course of the season, Singletary had this great rookie season. He, re- he averaged five and a half a carry. And then next year, it's like, whoa, this is totally different. It's not the same vibe that I kind of felt in the first year. I'm not kind of – he was in a lot of ways because of the hesitation with Josh last year at times. Mm-hmm. He kind of became the focal point yeah. of the offense a lot of the times. And I think he struggled with the new role, especially with when they started to kind of ramp things up with Zach Moss. I think that had they gone to Yeldon earlier – maybe they would have been able to do more in the run game. Am I way off base there?
1: I don't think so. I think that you you nailed it. Sometimes players in their second year take a little bit of regression. And I'm not 100% sure why that is. It's kind of from player to player. Sometimes it's that they just don't quite understand that you have to reinvent yourself every year in the NFL. I mean, you put one year on tape, and now you've got one year of tape for defensive coordinators start looking at you, understanding what you do well, how to take care of you, how to kind of take you away. And when you were Devin Singletary and basically the offense of 2019 – you're going to be one of the guys they take away. And so if he came back in this offseason and he wasn't a hundred percent sure what he needed to do or whatnot, I'm not saying that again, but not having an OTAs, not having all the like legit preseason stuff can really affect a young back like that that's not used to seeing it at real time. So, yes, I do think going to Yeldon could have helped. Anytime you can kind of go to a seasoned veteran, but there is something to say too about you play your young guys in important roles in a big time moments like that because they are your future, right? We don't know what the future of TJ Yeldon might be for the Buffalo Bills. We know Devin Singletary is going to be here for at least one more year, if not two, because he's on his rookie contract, right? So there's something to be said about letting your young guys take your lumps, letting your young guys learn – You just hope that they rise to the occasion, and unfortunately, Singletary had that huge dropped third down, which in my opinion was a huge game-changing play in that Kansas City game, but we really needed to see more out of him in the run game of bruising and making those yards after contact and making guys miss, which he was so good at his rookie year. It just seemed like maybe something changed there, and I really do think the loss of Zach Moss was insurmountable, really, to talk about losing for the run game here.
0: You know, after that game was over, a lot of fans kind of turned their attention already to the draft and they mm-hmm. said, you know, pick 30, the Bills could get realistically the best running back in this draft class because that's about where they're falling. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd like to get your thoughts on, do the Bills really need to even attack that position because they have Singletary, they have Moss, and, and you know, I'm not trying to hype the guy up too much, but Antonio Williams looks like a, a pretty decent runner in week 17 against a, a solid Dolphins defense. So, Is there anything wrong with the running back room now, or should they really give some serious consideration to a running back in
1: round one? You know, I don't necessarily think you should. I think that you can find really good running backs in the second, third, fourth even, right? I mean, you see that there's the upper echelon of running backs of Jonathan Taylor's, right? Which you took third or fourth or the high round because you know what they can do, but you also know how much of a beating these guys take. And so if you're really looking, I think if I look at this Bills team and go, what's the number one glaring need, it's a defensive lineman. I think it's a defensive end, someone that can absolutely get after the passer where running back, you can have a running game by committee. You really can. You can have a guy that's not going to light the world on fire every single play, but you can have two or three guys that really do a really nice job for you. And I think that you give Singletary one more year to really say, okay, can you come back and have a big jump back season Tackled with Zach Moss, who's going to have hopefully a big second season. I know he's coming off an injury, and then you have a couple other guys you bring in for competition, and you really kind of bring the greatness out of that room. I don't think you need to go running back in the first round for these Bills because I don't think there's a lot other spots, especially you could get some different things that you could bring in to help you.
3: I love that point because I I think you're running the money with defensive line being the the glaring need. I think mm-hmm. that you know Mari. We were talking a little bit about this with Mike earlier, but you know, Mario Addison came in here and, you know, I thought he was, he was fine. He was good. He was really good in some games, Mm -hmm. but not the, the, the sack producer that I think that they were hoping to get. And some, and listen, he's been in the league a long time. I mean, he's on the wrong side of 30. I think Jerry Hughes is kind of an anomaly with the way that he's continued to play at that level. They need somebody that can impact games off the edge. And I think long-term, you know, you get, a one technique in here a nose tackle somebody that can, can take on double teams that maybe unlocks Ed Oliver a little bit more, at least you hope so. Mm. And I think that combination of things makes this defensive. You you solve a lot of problems on Sunday. If you can affect Patrick Mahomes a little bit more with your four, because we know we went into the game saying this, if you have to send multiple layers of pressure at Patrick Mahomes, he's just going to kill you. Matt Mulatto had him dead (laughs) to rights on a perfect linebacker blitz and all of a sudden he just moves out of the way, throws it to Travis Kelsey, first down, touchdown drive.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and you're seeing more and more with the young gunslingers, and even some of the old heads that are still throwing it, if you have to pressure them, it's not good. Like The numbers aren't great, and even with the people that pressured Josh this year, you saw it wasn't great, and where Josh struggled is when people were able to get after him without having to blitz, right? Where you had the front four, and routes have to develop down the field, and routes have to get going, and Honestly, I don't necessarily know if it's even as much of a DN, guys, as much of a, like, really good pass rushing three technique alongside Ed Oliver, right? So you can get kind of that NASCAR package. I know in 2017 when I was in Minnesota – we had four defensive ends that could really get after the passer. And when it was third and long, you moved your two starting DNs outside and you had your two backup DNs come in and rush inside. And it created some mismatches over some guards, right? See something like that. I mean, in Mario Addison, you saw a little bit where he would kind of do that rover package rocking around out there. But I think if you can find another three technique to match at Oliver and the draft or somewhere else that can push the pocket from the inside out and not allow people to step up because our DNs would get around the edge on some guys, but there just was that nice wall firm right in the middle that the center guards would put towards the quarterback just took two steps up and released the ball, right? If you make it so that quarterback has to hold it back there at eight, nine, 10 yards, that allows the DNs to go and get those sacks. So I think that there is some good, I mean, Epinesa has looked like he did do some nice things coming here, Jerry Hughes still being really well, Ed Oliver taking good steps forward. I think we're really missing one more interior kick-ass defender away from being a really good chance to go out and get after some guys.
3: Yeah, I think they were hoping that Vernon Butler would be that, and I think he had a couple moments where he flashed, but there was just there wasn't enough consistency, and, and especially on the big stage the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, outside of maybe the Baltimore game because everybody played well in that game, yeah. it just wasn't there
1: yeah it just it just wasn't quite the time for i think we just missed it on a little bit more than what we were hoping for out of vernon butler i played against him in carolina and he kind of was that guy in carolina too um i don't think i think he is who he is he's a good solid player but i don't think that there's much more of a ceiling or much more past i think he's reached his ceiling of who he is in the nfl
3: we got a lot of stuff to get into on the offensive line because i want to i want to get into that but before we go any further Little shout out. What you got going on this offseason? I mean, uh, I know you guys, you, you do a lot of stuff in Nebraska. You did mm-hmm. some Minnesota Viking stuff. Give yeah. us the kind of rundown.
1: Yeah, so uh, first thing I'll be expecting, my baby girl, come March 21st. Uh, we got a we got little girl coming here, so getting excited for that. And then we're just continuing to plug along here in Nebraska. I mean, our program's kind of falling into shambles right now. We got guys leaving everywhere and kind of Luke McCaffrey left today. And it, it's just Man. kind of a mess here. So we're kind of figuring out what's going on there. I still do. Um, Purple Insider, Tuesday Morning Left Guard, we call it, uh, is a podcast I do talk about Minnesota. We're doing that all through the playoffs here. And then just kind of regrouping here and kind of resetting for the hopefully a normal year. Um, I am still working to become an NFL agent and represent guys coming out. Um, from college into the nfl and that test the certification test got pushed again till july so mm. still just waiting on that it's gonna be weird no combine i mean some of the senior bull stuff not going on so really just kind of a reset here and get everything geared back up and
3: kind of just start moving along with life again well congratulations on that that is so Thank awesome you. i saw your little man get he got some air the other day yeah. and he posted it today that was that was impressive
1: he did. He got he got the haircut today for the first time. Uh, he he loved it. He just watched his little cocoa melon and then just kind of <laughs> sat there and sat on a sucker. And any parent that's in here and hears word cocoa melon, I know you have that little shiver that goes up your spine. But it, it's the greatest it's thing a ever. Man.
3: It's the It's so right.
1: good. You just like need a minute. You're just like just go watch Miss Appleberry and just just relax. <laughs> my daughter,
3: my daughter just walks into room cocoa melon. Yeah, like, okay, hundred percent. Whatever you need, hundred percent. Um. No, that's interesting. And Matthew Collar, uh, who who hosts the, the, mm-hmm. the pod with you, uh, he he used to be in Buffalo. So that's yeah. a, it's it's a, such a cool small world. Our guy, uh, we 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 had dinner with him out in uh, Indy last year, the last normal event. Henry Burris, yeah, his big job in uh, Chicago. So I sent him a message today really cool stuff when you see people having some success around the world.
1: Here. It is. It's really crazy to think how small the NFL is. I mean, not just from a player standpoint too, but just like, it's like a fraternity of people that just are in it. Right. And if you're not in it, you can't really grasp what actually is going on.
3: Mm-hmm. Let's talk some Josh. Josh. Really? Um, him. Looks great. Yeah, man, <laughs> He does. He does. Um, at least that's what the people tell me. Um, so you, you look at this game and first of all, what an unbelievable jump this year. I mean, really, we talked about it right before the season started. We had you on the show and all the possibilities of year yeah. 3 and the expectations. We were all pretty high on him, but he he seems to have cleared every bar that, you know, even I think any of us had for him. I mean, it was an unbelievable season. You get to this game, this big moment. Kansas City threw some different things at him, um stuff that they weren't ready for and stuff that, you know, especially up front, confused them a little bit. How much in this game did you think it was maybe the moment again, that was maybe the issue. And sooner or later, these moments aren't going to be moments anymore because he's going to have gone through all of them. But I'm I'm still wondering if they're, they're got the, the turnovers weren't there, but you got yeah. to, the, to the point where it was just seemed like it was in quicksand a little bit.
1: Yeah. I think that again, that's something where you look at the Kansas city chiefs and they've been there, done that. Right. And I even talked about this on on one of my podcasts going into the week one playoff matchup against Indianapolis where I was like, you know, this is a veteran Indianapolis team. that A lot of guys been through playoff moments and it showed. I mean, Indianapolis had a chance to go down there and win if it wasn't for a couple guys making some big plays. And again, you just look at that and you go, okay, growing experiences and you just hope to come out on the right side of some of those growing experiences, which we got to do against Indy and Baltimore, right? We got to go through some of those ups and downs, but overall, I thought Josh performed decent in that game. The problem was i don't necessarily know if he was super confident in the answers that he had against some of the blitzes and again that's the offensive line picking it up that's him seeing it and shifting the offensive line to slide into it or knowing where his hots is and knowing where his routes are
3: and what and was that's the noise that, like because I, I saw it was a lot loud. of it was loud i mean there.
1: for seventeen thousand people in there it was definitely loud and i was way up in the nosebleeds and i was like man so i actually made my first start in arrowhead stadium in 2014 and as a rookie, I can remember going, holy cow, like it felt like college. It was so loud in there. And so, I mean, even with 17,000, you saw that it, it was definitely affecting them as far as having to go on silent cadence, which they hadn't had to do a whole lot this year, right? You play in a lot of empty stadiums. So you're used to be able to just go on cadence and get the communication, everything filed through there. So it definitely played a factor. But I think the bigger thing was that they threw some new stuff at Josh because, again, the book is out on Josh Allen for the 2019, 2020 season, right? It's good against the pressure, but if you can get him confused, he'll hold the ball that half a second too long and take the bad sack, right? That's really what happens. He tries to maybe create a little too much or he tries to roll out or he tries to do something where a, a sack that might be turned into third and 13 is now third and 24, third and 28 because he does try and do too much. So I think that they, that's something he'll learn from as far as, hey, you know what? Sometimes you just got to eat it. Sometimes it's okay that if you're gonna get sacked on on third and down or second and ten and make it third and fourteen, fifteen, that's okay. Don't make a bad problem a worse problem. And I think that's still one thing that he's grown from there. But overall, man, I mean, I had him second in the MVP race this year behind Aaron Rodgers. I mean, and you can say, well, that's I mean, you judge it year to year. That's you can't ask a, a guy to do more stuff for that. And you nailed it. This is no longer going to become a is the moment too big as much as, okay, did he learn from his past experiences and become a better player growing in the right direction? So what kind of quarterback are you expecting to emerge from all of this, especially this last game against Kansas city? You know, I honestly think that next year it's going to be almost impossible for him to replicate what he did this year. Um, I think and that that's okay. I think people need to understand that if he comes out next year and he doesn't throw for, a million yards and a million touchdowns like you did this year that's all right because guess what you're they're going to want to get the running game more involved and they're not going to want it all to run through him as much as they can be but I think you're going to see a quarterback that continues to cut down on the turnovers and continues to cut down on the mistakes and the mistakes are kind of why I just mentioned the taking the negative plays but also I think you're going to see Dable throw more on his plate right I think you're going to see a little bit more of like hey make some checks at the line. Here's two plays. You decide which play you want to run once you look at the defense, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think you're just going to continue to see more. And that Dable not leaving is going to do a ton for Josh's development. Not having to learn a new offense, not having to learn new code words, and all of that will be so much more important for Josh going into his fourth year coming off this great season. But I expect to see a poised, great leader like he was this year, but even more next year, but just maybe not quite the gaudy numbers that we saw quite this year.
3: I don't want to put you on the spot here, and I know that you, um, you know, played here, you played there, and you're still tight with a lot of people there. So if Mm -hmm. it if it crosses lines, you know all that. Always tell us. But there was a story uh, that came out of Miami today, and Ken Ken Dorsey is is a candidate, I guess, for their offensive coordinator job. And Mm. one of the an unnamed source in the story said that. According to that source, that Dorsey has been more important to Josh Allen's development than Brian Dable, and I'm curious your thoughts—not necessarily on that, but like where you fall on how important both of those guys have been, and is it kind of an equal credit type of thing, or is it yeah. something where it's like, you know, maybe they they impact him in different ways?
1: I think I think it's a lot of they impact him in different ways. I think that anyone will say that your coordinator obviously calls the shots and has the last say on everything but your position coach is really who you spend a ton of time with and who you spend a ton of time to be with, right? I mean, you're talking about a day-in, day-out grind of in the meeting room, in the film room, constant communication during practice, whereas an offensive coordinator has got to handle so much more. He's got he to he gotta know what the O-line is doing, the tight ends are doing, the receivers are doing, and then ultimately he kind of is the quarterback coach with Ken Dorsey, but Ken Dorsey is really the guy that if the OC say Dable comes down on him, he's just like, "Ah," which Dable can do Dorsey's the guy that pulls him aside and is like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's do this. Let's do that. And let's put it together. And then he can go to Dable after Dables kind of calmed down a little bit and then they can talk themselves through it. So I think Dorsey's had a ton to do with Josh Allen's development. And I think that he's done a phenomenal job in making sure that things stay within Josh's wheelhouse. I think one thing that Josh can do, especially his first two years is force things, right? I got this arm. I got this, I can do it. And I think you saw less of that this year and allowing things to come to him. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Dorsey coached him up.
0: You know, let's kind of jump now to the offensive line. And, yes. and one player who had, a, <laughs> yeah, they had an interesting season was Mitch Morris. He, hmm. he suffered the concussion He's cleared to come back. He doesn't play in that next game, even though he's active. He Then he does get back to the lineup, and I think he plays some pretty good ball. But with cap constraints going into this offseason and the fact that the Bills could save some money by cutting him, maybe re-signing a John Feliciano who can play center, I guess where are you right now on Mitch, uh, Mitch Morse and his future with the Bills?
1: You know, I like Mitch and I never got a chance to play with him because he was coming off of the hernia surgeries or whatever it was when he was coming in for the 2019 season. But the thing that surprised me is he is what, I think he still is the highest paid center in the NFL. Second uh, second second, or third
3: now, actually. Yeah. So he was at the the
1: time, right? So I think that if you look at the biggest thing that GMs and front office staffs are going to say when it comes to renegotiation or take a pay cut is, hey, your durability is an issue, right? That's the that's the one word every like, hey, you didn't reach all sixteen games, which is going to know who's going to hear that, Matt Milano, but that's a different thing. Like, so those are things that are going to say. So if they want Mitch Morris to stay here. They know that they're going to have to rearrange his structure on his cap hit, and whether that's moving some to the front or if saying, hey, we're going to need to do this, we're going to release you, trade you, whatever. I think that the only way Mitch Moore stays at the starting center for the Buffalo Bills is if he takes a pay cut. And I'm not saying that based off of his play. I'm saying that based off of, I know the business and the schemes of what go into the NFL. And there's a lot of things that need to get done on this team. And there's not a ton of money and a ton of wiggle room to do it. So I think that you kind of give him the option of, I don't know if you guys followed in Minnesota, Riley Reef this year, the left tackle, they said, take a pay cut. We're going to release you. And I don't think it's going to get to that point with Mitch Morris, but it could, depending on what him and its agent want to accomplish. But again, you have guys that were able to go in there and fill in well. And John Feliciano, who's also a free agent, wants to get paid. You got a guy in Ike Bucker who started a ton of games there at left guard towards the end of the year, who's going to be back on a, probably a second round tender would be my guess. And so there's money that needs to get poured into that room. And then the question is, how do you evenly space that out amounts amongst those guys? Wow. Or do you just kind of say, okay, we're going to remove a piece of this and start fresh with something new? I don't necessarily know which way they go with it, but I think Mitch is a a good player, and I think he's an integral part as to what was able to happen with Josh's development as well with a really smart center playing up there.
3: Got to give you some credit here, too, in the the stream. Uh, The free Ike movement that you started way before its time you were right on the money about that. What did you like about him? Because, I mean, obviously you were familiar with him. You, you, mm-hmm. you were in, in town with him for about a year there. Yeah. Um. His versatility is great. Like, what I really like about Ike from what I was able to see before we went into this COVID craziness was his extra stuff. Like, you know, sometimes players probably don't even know this, that we're, that we're watching when we're in the field house when we're just standing around. And, dude, this guy, every time practice ended, he was off to the side working with whoever he could get in their ear. And to me – You see that. I mean, not everybody's like that. And you'd think they would be because it's the NFL, but it really doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, I got to see Ike as a rookie and come in and then actually we lived together my second offseason there. And I just could see him keeping developing as a player. He was a guy that, again, Got released and went to Kansas City and then got brought back and kind of was on that inactive death list, which you sit on for a while, which I did for a year or two, where you literally just sit there and you're like, nope, you're not active for game day. You're like, all right, well, I'll just sit here in my skivvies again and wait till someone gets hurt, which is terrible. But when you get your shot, when you get your opportunity, you have to take advantage of it. And when I saw Ike go in and play last year against the Jets at center, he struggled. He did. He struggled against McClendon, who's all but he again, he grew from that experience into this year where I got to talk to a bunch of guys and they're like, Man, Ike's playing really good ball. Or I talked to Ike and he's like, Man, I feel like I'm playing really well right now. I'm just gonna wait for my shot, just waiting for my opportunity. And when he took it, he ran with it and never looked back. And I mean, he beat out a guy in Brian Brian Winners who started a ton of games in the NFL, who played a lot. I mean they released a guy, Spencer Long, to bring in Brian Winners because they felt like they had the veteran capability. And Ike was able to beat all of them out. And I think that just watching him play is—he's another one of those young guys, that core young guy group there on Buffalo that they're gonna want to keep in there. And I think again, he's a guy that's cheap. You're gonna get him at a second round or an original round tender. And you're gonna be able to pay him, I think, two and a half or three million, whatever it might be, for one year, and allow to say, hey, can you prove it again? And can you show us you can play all sixteen? Right, that's such a big thing for these freaking GMs. It's crazy. And if he can, then he'll have a chance to go get paid. But I think that he did a really nice job this year in the run game and the pass game.
0: Yeah, and you're right. Bucker stepped up this year, and you mentioned maybe they do, they do let a, a Mitch Morris possibly go and start mm-hmm. fresh. Looking at this Bills roster, not the starters, but some of the guys that they have waiting in the wings, do they have another guy that maybe could be ready to step up next year? Ryan Bates, obviously. They love the versatility there. Uh, They had Trey Adams on their practice squad all Mm -hmm. year. We really don't know much about his development because you didn't get to see much of it, obviously, out there on the field. Uh, But he was a guy that had a high pedigree at one point before injuries kind of plagued him in college. And then, you know, obviously not the same category as those guys but even a Cody Ford, a guy that they drafted pretty high in the draft, but he's been injured throughout his his career here early on. So
1: whether it's one of those guys or someone else, do you see maybe the Bills have someone that is waiting in the wings and ready to step up? I think you do. And I think that the Bills have done this really since 2019 when I was kind of re there's theirs. They have no problem signing a bunch of guys and basically throwing you all into the gauntlet and saying, all right, fight it out, right? The best five will find their way to the field. And I think that If you do move on from Mitch Morris, you're very confident in whoever you're going to plug into that next spot. It's not going to be a coin flipper. Like You have to know this guy's ready to start and contribute at a high level now, and I think that they want that to be Cody Ford. I think they drafted him second round, and they know who he is. He played well this year until he got injured, but it's, again, can we trust that he'll be there, and if not, who's behind him? I think Ryan Bates has shown that he can be that guy. I think Trey Adams is more of a tackle than a guard. And again, you're kind of what do we do with Daryl Williams? I mean, obviously, Dion's kind of settled that spot down, but you got a lot of guys that you want to bring along and develop so that when contract times start coming around, you start getting paying people, you can have younger talent step up. But I do think that if they move on from Mitch Morris, it's because they have full confidence in Cody Ford being the guy that's going to step up and be that one guy.
3: So are you surprised at the way that Wyatt Teller no, took off this year? Not
1: at all. The dude was one of the biggest freak shows I've ever met in my entire life. Now, he was a little bit of a mental head case. I'll tell you that. But I'll tell you that Callahan out there, I mean, I have buddies that played. Obviously, he was the head coach here in Nebraska. Is one of the greatest offensive line coaches I've ever been around, I've ever got to meet. And I've had buddies that told me the same thing, is he knows how to get the best out of guys. And Wyatt was one of those guys that was always kind of one click away from just having it all put together but physically that dude was one of the most freakish guys I've ever been around when it comes to just kind of strength. And like, he doesn't really look like he's moving fast and all of a sudden he hits you and you're just like, you feel the weight of a guy like that when he hits you, like with his hands and everything. And then he kind of look at you with this weird cross-eyed look and he'd be like, hi Wyatt, like anybody in there, like serial killer look almost to him. And I love Wyatt to death. I've actually talked with him a few times here this year, but I, I am not surprised at all that he finally was able to get it all to click.
3: That's awesome. Great. That's great insight because, you know, I think looking back, that's a big piece of this that I think sometimes, you know, fans like, oh man, if we just had Wyatt Teller, like that would be so great. We would have so many more options and blah, blah, blah. Well, he kind of needed that yeah. whole deal to kind of find who he is. Maybe he was never going to find that or that click, that switch was never going to go off here.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, sometimes that's all guys need. Sometimes guys really just need to be able to move somewhere else. They just need a change of scenery or they just need to experience something different. Every team has something that feels different. Every every organization, every coach, every O-line room is just different. And so maybe he just needed something different to unlock that all in him, but it was really good to see him have the success. I mean, I think PFF had him as like the number one guard in the NFL or something crazy, crazy. like that. I mean, he absolutely <laughs> killed Tyron Matthew, which I thought was hilarious. And like Tyron gets up to talk crap and he's just like, yeah, yeah, I was like, I could just picture Wyatt just like looking him dead in the eyes, like, dude, say something else, please. Anything else?
3: <laughs> so
1: staying on the offensive side
0: of the ball, yeah. tight end position, Dawson Knox. Does he get another opportunity next year to be the guy at tight end, the number one player? He was drafted at more so for his athleticism. He was pretty raw coming out, but he didn't make that jump that I think a <laughs> lot of people. Expecting so. If the Bills could make a run at a Ertz or someone else, maybe that gets cut because of the the uh, cap situation across. The Kyle,
1: Kyle Rudolph, who's been on news. This year. I was just about to say
0: that. Yeah. So, <laughs> if, if should they go another route, almost like they did this year with Greg Olson, they they wanted Greg Olson at one point. They were they were in on him. He was they were a finalist for his services. Should they go that route, or does Dawson Knox deserve another year to prove he can be the guy at the position?
1: You know, I think that they go if they do decide to go with someone else, they got to go with a veteran towards the end of his career because that's a young room, that's a room that doesn't have a ton of veteran leadership in it or have a ton of experience in it. So if you do go get a guy in Ertz, a Rudolph, who you know has probably got two good years left in them, right? I still think those guys have good football. They're not, they're not Jason Witten or someone who's like literally you're looking at like dude. Come on, like, you've got to call it here. This is brutal. I mean, you. I still think Kyle Rudolph is just a completely underutilized tool for the Minnesota Vikings. He would be a perfect fit in Buffalo, in my opinion. He would fill a huge void. He would bring some of that run game that you want out of your tight end because he's a basically a sixth-o-lineman that is like throwing into a mattress. I mean, he catches everything you throw to him. But I think that that's not saying, hey, Dawson, you're not the guy. It's saying, hey, Dawson, we're bringing a guy along. That's going to help you grow into the guy in two years or a year and going to help you. And there's every team has two tight ends that can really do a lot of good things. Every good team. I mean, unless you're Travis Kelsey and never come off the field, like you've got two really good guys that come in. And I think there's nothing wrong with bringing a veteran tight end in to help his growth, help his development and give Josh another outlet and a safety net, especially against some of those pressures and those blitzes.
3: Look at this picture yeah. here. Oh. This is, this is, this is the, look at the, the emotion and the joy. And that is like one of the coolest pictures. I love these kind of shots. Like I'm a sucker for a good sports uh, celebration picture. But I wanted to bring this one into it because, you know, we we talked a lot about him going into this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was, there was questions um, about how he was going to fit, all the stories we heard from Minnesota. And you said, listen – I don't know what anybody else is going to say, but, he, you know, he was a great teammate and everybody that we talked to this year raved about what he was in this room. And obviously there's a, there's a, there's a caveat to this. I mean, he's the most targeted player in the NFL. I mean, he was a happy player, no doubt about it, but I think that that speaks a little bit to what you were saying and uh, a little bit more to the guy than I think maybe the narrative that was out there.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really easy when when you're on a team that's struggling like the Minnesota Vikings struggled in 2018 or 2019. It was easy to everyone was frustrated, right? And when you're the superstar, the cameras are always on you. The cameras are always looking and so the frustration boiled over and then he had the he had the couple dramatic moments in Minnesota locker room with like there's truth to all rumors, right? Like he had those moments, but I knew who Diggs was as a person as a player because he came in as a rookie when I got traded to Minnesota. We were there together as new guys. He lived. He was two lockers away from me. And so, I mean, I got. I remember what Diggs was as a teammate, as a competitor. And I knew the second he got traded to Buffalo that he was going to bring that mentality with him. And he was going to leave that part behind him and continue to move forward. And he was, I mean, again, an amazing player and an amazing thing. For Josh, I mean, the most targeted wide receiver and all that. Yeah, again, he's happy. And you want to keep receivers like that happy because when you do, generally good things happen. And I promise you there's a lot of people in Minnesota going, huh, I'm not sure we wanted to let him go. As good as Justin Jefferson was out there, like that's a guy that you don't really like to let walk out your door. But again, it's the business to all of it. Minnesota didn't have the money to keep him. And do the things, but that's a guy that you know what you're going to get from every single week. And I think that he really embodied the city of Buffalo and Buffalo really fell in love with him as much as he fell in love with the city.
0: Yeah, what kind of relationship did Stefan Diggs have going back with our tight end talk with maybe a Kyle Rudolph? Because if he becomes available, Buffalo obviously would want to do their due diligence. And who better to talk to than Stefan Diggs?
1: Oh, st- he'd tell them to go get Rudy right away. I mean, Rudy was a, such a leader, especially for a, a young guy in Diggs where Diggs was still kind of a young guy figuring it all out. I mean, Rudy was kind of had his fingers in everything, especially that 2018 or 2017 year. Um, my last year like he was just he was so important to our offense and really and even in 2016 when sam bradford and him basically just played catch the entire game um a lot of times because he was so good and i think that if Diggs could say anything it'd be rave reviews about kyle rudolph which i would say too because he is an incredible human and an even better tight end
3: dude this was fun man i
1: mean oh, listen,
3: Every time you come on, I mean, I feel like we could just do this thing all night, but you know, we do have to get out of here and uh, you have to, you have to go take care of your child and take care of your wife who is mm-hmm. going to be giving you another awesome child. That's awesome, man. Congratulations.
1: I appreciate it guys. I always love coming on here. It's always a good time.
3: F- his, his screen name's right there. Uh, his Twitter mm-hmm. handle. Make sure you give him a follow uh from time to time you can even find them uh streaming some type of uh some type of video game nonsense yeah. getting into yourself some trouble i like I that know. too i know
1: i haven't got, <laughs> i haven't got much in the video game since hunting season but hunting season's coming to an end here which is so sad my wife's what not you, sad about it but i am
3: uh so i'm not like a hunter like so i don't mm. nothing against it but nothing but i just never did it i saw i posted a story about it like did you see trent murphy's picture yeah, with the deer, deer in the stadium unbelievable
1: i i i i, I That was the coolest thing ever, dude. To know that the fact that Trent loaded that thing up in his truck and drove it down the feet, because he didn't drag that thing. Like, he backed that thing up and pulled it out of the truck and set it down is the classic. If you know Trent or you've ever had any interaction with Trent, you're just like, yeah, that's a Trent Murphy move. Like, that's just 100% who Trent is and all about it. I loved everything about that.
3: That's that's what I really – we never got a chance to talk to Trent again this season, but if I would have – I really wanted him to take a step-by-step like, okay, what did you have to kind of go through? That that had to be like a whole ordeal, like set up. You would
1: think, or you know what, knowing Trent, he might've just like, drove in like no one knew. And like, he just wanted, he might've just done it. Like I fully could see Trent just like pulling in, waving the security, putting his car, the gate comes up and he just pulls into the stadium, backs his truck down the ramp. Like I could totally see that didn't like eventually people like, what are you doing? He's like, just taking a picture of my dear."
3: Like, and I could just totally see Trent doing that. That is so phenomenal with that. We're going to wrap this up for Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. He is Jeremiah Searles. Find him on all the platforms. Former Buffalo Bill, ton of different. We have we we'll have you on again this offseason. Talk some Philip huh? Rivers. Oh, uh, a yeah. ton, ton of different stuff we have to talk about. Fun offseason for the Bills. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We're trying to grow this channel up. We just started the new one. We really appreciate it. We're on all the audio platforms too, and that's where everybody can just kind of pick and choose where you want to listen. Uh, a lot to dive into from this episode. All right, guys, we are out of here. Have a great night. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online
0: to win.